Uh, as we've mentioned, if you're just joining us, um, if not, if you've been, it's good review as we kind of run up a little bit. Historically, the book of Esther takes place between chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther is how it comes in your Bibles, but historically, the story we're looking at takes place in the middle of the book of Ezra, and the king at the time is King Ahasuerus over all of Persia, huge empire at this time, and these are the, the people that had conquered, uh, the Babylonians conquered, the, the southern tribes of Judah carried them off into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Ahasuerus, the Persian Empire, has, has taken over, overthrown Babylon as the world power now. And Ahasuerus is the king. Some people, again, have already gone back. They've let some of the, the Jews go back to Ahasuerus' grandfather, Cyrus, allowed some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But still, Israel under captivity, under, under the Persian rule, Ahasuerus, his wife Vashti, um, they had a little, a little falling out in chapter 1, and she was banished. And so the king is looking for a new bride. And that is where Esther enters the story. Her, her uncle Mordecai and Esther, her parents have, have died somewhere along the line. Mordecai, Mordecai, another person in our story, has been raising her as a daughter. And as they're going out, the king is, sends out um, this edict to bring in all of these young virgins from all over his his rule, where he reigns, Esther being one of them. She keeps her identity as a Jew secret, and we'll find that out as we continue to move through the story tonight. But through God's providential hand, and we've seen that as we move through the story, the king chooses Esther to be his next queen. Mordecai overhears outside of the temple one day a couple of the guards talking about an assassination plot against the king, he gets word to Esther. Those two, they research it, find out to be true. They execute those two, those two guards. And Mordecai, it's, it's noted that Mordecai was the one who did this, but he was not rewarded. Nothing else happened at that time. That will become important again as we move through our story tonight. And so it, we move forward a little bit from that, a couple of years, and we're introduced to a man last week. His name is Haman. And he is elevated to second in command, if you would, basically in the in the in the kingdom. And when he would walk by, because of the title that or the position that he held, people would stand up, they'd bow down, they'd give him all this reference, except one guy, and that's Mordecai. Mordecai would not respond in that way. Mordecai would just kind of ignore him as he'd walk by, and that makes Haman so mad. How mad is he? Well, I'm glad you asked. He um. He's so furious. Not only does he want Mordecai killed, he is set out in his heart to exterminate the Jewish people. So he goes to the king and he gets, he gets permission from the king by telling him half-truths and lies mixed in there that there's this, there's this kingdom in his kingdom. There's these people within his kingdom that want to overthrow him. They don't obey any of the laws, all this other kind of stuff. The king gives him his signet ring and said, go ahead and do what you want to do with that. So he sends out an edict that in a year's time, a little less than a year's time, all across the kingdom, wherever there's a Jew, you're supposed to kill him. And that goes out throughout all of the kingdom, and it's sealed with the king's ring, and it's sent out throughout there. This word now comes back to Mordecai hears of it, and he gets the word to Esther. And as we finished in chapter 4 last time, and that's where I want to kind of get a little running start, if you would, 
He says to her, Mordecai gets word to her. They go back and forth that this is what is going to happen. And in verse 14, basically he is saying, you have to do something, Esther. And she's like, I can't just go into the king. It's been 30 days since he has called for me. Now the king has this big harem as well. And it's been 30 days since she's had any contact with the king whatsoever. And she said, I can't, nobody can just go uninvited into the king's presence. That's, that's the death sentence, if you would, even for the queen. And so she says, just so that you know that, that, that this would mean death for me to go in there unless, unless there's grace that's extended to me. Verse 14 of chapter 4 says, For if you remain silent at this time, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this. Saying, Esther, you don't, have, you don't know why God has been doing all of the things he's done. What if it is for this specific purpose that everything has happened? And so she then sends a response back to him in verse 16. He, she says, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink anything for three days, night or day. I and my maidservants will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I go in there and, he, and, and I'm executed for that, I, I go in, I die, I die. And the, the embracing the fact that, okay, if this is the purpose where I've come, I'm going to step out in faith in this. And, and I, did anybody, I, I talk, Ronnie told me he read ahead. Anybody else read ahead? A few of you? Okay, Esther doesn't know what happens next. <laughs> we do. We've read the story, but she doesn't know. She's going to go in again, stepping in, in completely in faith. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should have a, a, a similar attitude that I believe that Esther embraces here. That, you know, like Paul said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I need to live every moment of my life for the Lord Jesus. And if that means that, that I die for that, guess what? I'm immediately in his presence. I get promoted. That, that, that's, not, that's not something that we should run from. Now, as, as we start into our study here, how many of you think she was afraid? Okay, good. Because <laughs> I do too. And we get this idea that, that, that because the Bible says we're not given a spirit of fear, that we should never feel fear. Well, that's not reality. We're going to face situations in our life that will cause us fear. That's a natural human reaction. I mean, to step into the unknown will cause anxiety and fear. But courage is what we're talking about here. Courage means even in the face of fear, I am going to step forward in faith, trusting the outcome to the Lord. And that's what she does here. So let's pick up our, our study now. Chapter five. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in, stood in the inner circle of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. 
The, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. That was the, the, I, the signal, if you would, <laughs> that he's extending grace to her to lift, to hold out the scepter. And she comes forward and touches it. That was the, the protocol to, to, so that, that everyone would know not to kill her, but that he's extending this grace. Then the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Now, that sounds like a, quite, a, quite an offer. And as the queen, you'd, you know, you'd think she'd get half anyway. But that, that's up to half of the kingdom. Basically, what that's saying, and that was just a, a common statement to be said, that basically, whatever it is that you want, I'll give you. Esther said, if it pleases the king... May the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with which Esther had prepared. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. So Esther replied, my, my petition and my request is, pause. You know, it's so important to listen to those divine checks. To pause <laughs> when you feel that tap on the shoulder. James 1.19 says, this you know, and that's one of my favorite starts out to a verse, because Peter says it a couple of times, James, this you know, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I used to, when my kids were growing up and, and little, I'd say this, you know, I'd, I'd tell them something, and they'd go, I know, Dad, and I'd say, I know you know, but I'm going to tell you again, because we all need to hear this over and over. James says, this you know. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Quick to hear and slow to speak. Quick to, when we hear those checks, when we feel those checks from the Lord, to stop, to pause, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Anybody else struggle with that one? I get that backwards so much. <laughs> I've heard it said one time that there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. For this very purpose, we should be spending twice as much time listening than we, do, than we do talking. And to listen to those, those checks. We saw courage in Esther, but here we see another great quality, patience. She's got an audience with the king. She doesn't know if she's ever going to get this chance again. We're going to hear her request again in a, in a moment that she's going to say, come back tomorrow. She doesn't know if that's, if that's even possible or will be granted. Although he did say, I'll give you anything you want, but he, she might use her only one to get him back tomorrow. But there's something going on here, and, and we just see the hand of God, the providential hand of God moving through this entire story. Remember, God's name is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther, but you're, if you're hard-pressed to read a verse without seeing God acting. And here we see that. She pauses and she trusts. And guys, we need to do that. This is just a great lesson. Let God work. 
So often, again, I know in my own life, and I, I know I'm speaking for probably more than just me in here, we can get ahead and we can push forward and we can think, well, I only have this much time and I got to do this and, and I don't know what, what, what's going to happen in the next hour, two hours, 24 hours. You know who does? God does. And God can do a lot in 24 hours, as we're going to see. It's important that she doesn't lay out the request that she ultimately wants to get to here because God's going to do a lot in 24 hours before she makes her ultimate request. As if I would just keep on going, we'll find out. Verse 8. Here's her request. I, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. So come back tomorrow, I'll prepare another banquet, and then I'll give you my request. Verse 9. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. He comes away from this, <laughs> this meeting with the king, the king, the queen, and Haman. And it says he comes away from that, and he's just excited. We're going to see Haman's got a little bit of a pride issue, a big pride issue. But he comes out of that, man, how could things be going better today for Haman? He just had, not only did he just have lunch with the king and queen, he got invited back tomorrow for the same thing. But all it took was this guy Haman, or this guy Mordecai, not to bow down to him. And the bitterness and the anger, as a matter of fact, that, that, that word anger there is, is translated a few different ways, indignation and everything in the English. It's interesting, that word means wrath in the Hebrew. It also means venom and poison. And that is a great definition of anger, wrath, bitterness. I've heard, I've heard it said that harboring bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting, it, expecting someone else to die. Because what it does to the person who's harboring it. And it's such a dangerous thing. And it, it grieves God when his children harbor bitterness and anger. Matter of fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All of it. No room in, in any heart for bitterness, wrath, anger. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We see what it does to this man, Haman. He's so filled with bitterness and anger towards Mordecai, he can't even enjoy what could possibly rank up right up there as the best day of his life. Totally ruined because of one guy. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife. So he gets them, he, he's, he's going to deal with this by getting his wife and, and his friends together. And listen how he describes this. Again, here's his, here we see Haman's root of his problem, pride. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons 
And every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king, Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she prepared. And tomorrow also I have been invited by her with the king. Verse 13, yet all of this does not satisfy me. Everything that I have, all of my possessions, all of my wealth, all of his sons, he has, he has many sons, all of his power, everything, none of it satisfies me. Every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the gate. And bottom line, when we look at Mordecai and we see as we, as we outline this, this isn't, or I'm sorry, Haman, this isn't a Mordecai problem. This is a heart problem of Haman. This is, this is an issue that is just stirring up with, within a man who, who isn't going to be content with anything. And it's just, how, how much more could one man have? We talked of this last time. He had so much money, he is personally bankrolling the execution of all of the Jewish people. He's, he, what else could this man have except, again, we see this throughout history, not just with this man, but trying to pursue anything outside of a relationship with God will always leave someone wanting because there are certain things within us that God created us his way that can only be fulfilled in a, in a relationship with, with our creator. And and Paul told Timothy, right? He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with where God has you and what God has brought to you. The undoing of so many is to say, you know what? I, granted, I have this and this and this, but I'm still not happy. So I'm going to get that and I'm going to go after this. More power, more this, more that. Not content. Never, never satisfied. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said, have a gallows 50 cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, though he had the gallows made. Now, 50 cubits, that's 75 feet tall. And the gallows... Not gallows like you and I would think of gallows for hanging. The way they executed people in this time and in this, in this kingdom was by impaling them on a, on, a, on a sharp stake and letting them hang there and displayed for everyone. And it was, again, a slow, painful death, impaling them on that. But 75 feet high, they're saying, put this Mordecai on display. 75 feet, and we'll see later that it's actually in his front yard. He must have a different HOA than I have. But to, to put this up there and publicly display him. And notice it says, then go joyfully with the king to lunch. How sick. But notice it says that the advice pleased Haman, and so he had the gallows made. He's going to have this done, and many are, you know, believing you know, they're, they're not building this, this scaffolding 75 feet tall. It's probably putting this high enough, like maybe on the part of his home or on the hill or something like that. Again, but bottom line is so that everybody can see. 
And so he's having this erected. He's having this built. He's having this put, put up there. And he's going to go ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. That's the plan. Sounds foolproof because here he is, second guy in command. Granted, the king's going to make, or the queen's going to make a request tomorrow, but I could pretty much go. I can tell him whatever I want. It's worked before. I'll have Mordecai taken care of. Psalm 33, verse 10 and following says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. We're blessed as the children of God because, guys, he is always working on our behalf. He is always working. And chapter 6 is an awesome display of that. Because we're going to see, remember I said that God can do it a lot in 24 hours? Look at this. In chapter 6, while Haman is already putting all of this together, he's got all of his plans in order. God is working. During that night, the king could not sleep. Huh. Coincidence? I think not. So he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles that were read before the king. Okay, he can't sleep. He's the king. He could have anything done he wants. He could have musicians brought in. He could send for one of his concubines. He could have any type of entertainment brought in. He could whatever. Instead, he says, bring in the book of the records. Bring in the chronicles of of, of his kingdom that he's had, you know, recorded as things are going along. Maybe he's thinking that'll help him put him to sleep quicker. I don't know. But bring in the book of records. And look, verse 2. It was found written that Mordecai had reported concerning Big, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's units who were at the doorkeepers, that they sought to slay at the, at the hands of Ahasuerus. <laughs> they, to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So of all of the records of his entire reign, they happened to grab the one record that Mordecai had found out the plot that these two, these two uh, gatekeepers were going to kill the king, and he was the one who turned it in. Of all the records, what a coincidence. This is just, wow. The king couldn't sleep. Guys, God never sleeps. He's always working. But if, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, there might be a reason. I mean, here we definitely see divine insomnia. My suggestion to you is pray and grab the word of God. God might be wanting to speak to you as he's going to Speak here in this. Speak, Lord, your, your, your servant's listening. Verse 3, the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. We're, we're a couple of years at least after the fact. Mordecai saves the king's life. And nothing's been done for him. Again, coincidence? We, we saw how quickly 
the, the enemies of the king were executed. They were put on the gallows, as it tells us back in chapter two, immediately. But just as immediately, normally, was somebody who showed favor, who, who blessed the king, was rewarded. That was normally the way things were done then, immediately, because the king wanted to get out two messages. Love me, bless me, the king, I'll bless you. Come against me, this is what happens. He wanted both of those messages to go out. This one time, Mordecai gets overlooked. Again, bad luck, bad timing. No, again, God's hand. Have you ever questioned, you know, why, why is this? Why? I, I've been doing this. I've been doing the right thing. I have been following God. And here's this, this other person in my workplace or wherever it might be that just seems to get blessed no matter what. And they don't follow God. They're actually cheating. They're doing all this other kind of stuff. What's up? God's timing is perfect. Remember Joseph back in, back in Egypt? He's in prison, and he's in there with the cupbearer and the baker from the king. They got in trouble with the pharaoh, and they get thrown in, and they have their dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams, and it happens exactly the way Joseph said it was going to happen. When they got out, the baker gets executed. The cupbearer gets put back in his position, and Joseph said when, he, when they left, when this takes place, when it happens, just like I told you, don't forget about me. Guess what? He forgot about him until... God's plan was ready, God's timing perfect. If Joseph would have gotten out right away then, it would have been way before the famine was coming and all of the other stuff. I mean, it would have, it, God's plan and timing is perfect. If Mordecai would have gotten rewarded right away, we would have missed what is about to take place. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. Coincidence? I don't think so. He came in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Then Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. Now the crown placed on the head of the horse. There actually have, we have, there's pictures in, of that that survived back to that time where the royal horse that the, the king would ride on had a crown on. So put the crown on the horse's head and royal robe around this man and let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array the man whom the, the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Verse 10, then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horses you have said and do so for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all you have said. Don't you just love God? He's thinking, 
Who's he going to bless more than me? Of course he's going to do this. So he lays out the most elaborate way of displaying to all of the people. And again, he's not, he didn't say take a lap around the palace. He said take it through the city so everybody can see. And if he's on the king's horse wearing the king's robe as he's being led through, that's just basically saying, man, look at what this guy did for the king. And he's wearing this royalty stuff. He's like second to the king. Haman wanted so bad for this, like the next step in all of this stuff. And, God, and, and the king goes, that is great. Awesome. Do that for Mordecai. I, I have the note that I had in here. Let God be God. He's way better at it than I am. Who could have thought up this other than God and then pulled it off? Again, God working in all of these details, everything. He's using all of this stuff. We talked of this last time. Again, Esther, for such a time as this, Esther, the queen that is here, Mordecai in the place that he was, and, the, and he heard, overheard what he heard, and he did what he should have done, and then even though he didn't get rewarded then, and he might have been thinking, that's a fine how do you do. I'd save the king and nothing. But God said, well, you just wait. I got, I got this. I'm working all of this stuff. The king's insomnia. The fact that the book is read, reminding that nothing was done. Even right down to Haman's arrogance. God uses all of it. And again, we know. We know. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We know that. He works all things together, even those things that don't seem to make sense at the time, that might seem insignificant. God uses all of those things. And again, just in the, the idea of the, all the things, even the, those things that seem so like, how could you thank God for that? How could you be thankful for that? I've used this story before. You've heard it. It's a great reminder, again, to thank God for everything in your life. Because we don't know what God's doing with it. Corey Tenboom recalled the story of her and her sister, Betsy, as they were brought into one particular bunkhouse in one particular concentration camp that they were in. and. It was so, so disgusting in this particular one. The fleas were so thick that they couldn't, they couldn't hardly breathe. They had to breathe through. They were holding their mouth because the fleas were so thick in this particular area. But they would have their Bible studies every day and, and sharing in there. And one particular day, Corey was so upset you know, at, at everything that was just happening. And Betsy, and she was complaining about the flies. And Betsy said to Corey, Corey, thank God for the flies. He goes, thank God for the flies, for the fleas. How could you thank God for these fleas? And Betsy said, Corey, since we've been in here, because of the fleas, none of the guards ever come in here. They never come to check. And because of that, we're able to have Bible study in here every day. We're able to, we're able to sing God's praises every day because the guards won't come in here. Thank God for the fleas. 
What a perspective. God working everything, even the things that don't make sense when it happens. And then we see God work as only God can. So, verse 11, Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai. Can you just, just picture his face through this whole thing? And led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. <laughs> verse 12, then. Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Again, here we see the difference in these men. Haman, this arrogant, prideful man, and Mordecai, that after all of this is done, what does he do? He goes back to work. It's all done. He was never seeking this. This was no big thing to him. This wasn't his this was, That wasn't what he was seeking. And then we see Haman. Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. Exalt yourself and you will be humbled. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Mourning with his head covered. He's mourning to the point, and, and that is a, a sign of deep mourning, as though you were mourning over the death of, of a loved one. My thought as I think of that is the thing that needs to die is pride here. And oh, if that were the case, if that were, if he came to that point of true brokenness and putting his pride to death, but it's unfortunately not what happens. Verse 13, Haman recounted to Jeresh, his wife and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. So remember when he left, he's going to go have Mordecai to get a, get a decree from the king to have Mordecai impaled. And then the next time they see him, he's leading Mordecai around the city. And then they, he comes back and then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but surely fall before him. Prophetic. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Now, before we get into chapter seven, I see even this timing that is here, an opportunity for Haman to repent. There's still, there's still time. He's still got breath in his lungs and he's been humiliated. He's been brought to all of this. He's even gotten a, a prophetic word from his, from his wife and these friends of his. Because the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather the wicked turn from his way and live. But the Bible also says in Psalm 7, Beginning in verse 12, if a man does not repent, he, being God, will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he, that is the man who will not repent, travails in wickedness, and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he has made. His mischief will re return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own head. 
repent, <laughs> turn, or all of these plans will return on your own head. And we see again, Haman having this opportunity to repent, but does not. And we see how it will work out for him. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For I have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. She's saying, here's my request, that you would let me live. Because me and my people have been have been given a death sentence. Now, if we'd have just been sold into slavery, I wouldn't be bothering you. But we have been sold into, into death. We've been given a death sentence. And the king of Hazarest asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do this? Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. I'll say. No idea, again, to this point, that Esther is a Jew, that she, she is of Jewish descent, and the decree went out to kill all the Jewish people. Now, Haman, seeing this quickly backfiring, now the king arose in anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden, no doubt on many fronts, because he's probably seeing all of this now coming together, remembering the fact that Haman had come to him with half-truths, he didn't bother checking it out. He just trusted him. And that's the decree that went out. But the decree that went out because he gave him his own signet ring. This petition has his name on it. And no doubt feeling betrayed by Haman. But also now that he would dare, have, he'd have the audacity to bring this against his, his own queen. He goes out, leaves in, in anger into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now, when the king returned from the palace garden into the palace, or in, from the palace garden into the place where they had been drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So Haman in desperation, trying, pleading for his life. We don't know how it happens here. If he's at, right next to the couch, if he stumbles onto it, what happens? There's a Jewish tradition that Gabriel actually pushes him. <laughs> the angel Gabriel pushes him. And he falls onto the couch where Esther is. Now there is... There is laws that we've uncovered that, that, you know, from this time in antiquity that no one was allowed to touch the queen instead of the king. Even some that said no one was to even to be able to come within seven paces of the queen except the king. And here the king walks back in and he's fallen on top of the queen on the couch. And as he says this out of his mouth, we see that 
that it says that they covered his face, meaning taking him away, covering his face, taking him off. Then Harbanah, one of the eunuchs who were before the king said, behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Again, the perfect plan. Everything going perfectly, except again, God working behind the scenes. God working in ways that, that we can't understand, that we can't know, that the enemy forces can't know thinking that everything is going perfectly according to plan, but God. Thinking of the ultimate example of that as Jesus is standing before next to Pilate in front of all of the people, what shall be done with this man? And they've stirred the crowd into chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And it tells us that the Jewish Leaders were behind that chant, but we know who was ultimately behind that, right? I mean, Satan himself stirring up the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, because they can't, you know, kill him, get him out of the way, the whole thing. And you just wonder the, the spiritual scene around the cross as Jesus is there and the demons no doubt rejoicing and, and Satan standing there and just watching this all take place with a smug smile on his face. And then Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished. What do you mean it is finished? Then you wonder if it just flooded in all of a sudden, Isaiah 53. And all of, the, all of the prophecies about the first coming and, and, and all of this. And Satan knows the scriptures. Just wonder if it was, no, no. God working behind the scenes. God using and, and doing that in the ultimate example of what Satan and, and our enemy thought was the perfect culmination and God. But God, three days later, all the forces of hell keeping that tomb sealed. Hmm. The plot to murder the, the king's bride brought out into the open and dealt with and what a what a great story. So many, so many lessons. And we'll we'll leave off there. We don't have time to get into the, the remaining chapters. So next week, next week, come on back. Don't miss next week, because we have a we got to finish up the verses here and we got a special treat. I won't say it any more than that, as we will finish off Esther and then put an exclamation point on it that you won't want to miss. I promise that. So make sure you come back next week after you have a Merry Christmas this weekend. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much again for your word and for preserving it for us. And as we, as we look at the story of Esther, what an amazing story it is. 
Though your name is not mentioned anywhere, we see your hand everywhere. Lord, because of that, we know that we can, we can have that confidence. That we can have the, the courage of Esther to step out in faith, knowing that you are always working. Lord, I, I personally pray for myself and anyone else here who needs it, Lord, that patience to wait on you, to wait on your perfect timing, knowing that you are always working. You're never sleeping. And Lord, that you, your ways are so much better than ours. Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you that we are children of yours and that we can trust you. So Lord, have your way in us. And Lord, we pray this week as we prepare to celebrate Christmas together this weekend. And Lord, that you would have your way in and through us this week, that we would shine your light, that we would uh, share the true meaning of Christmas to those around us. And Lord, we pray for many to come this weekend and to hear the truth. And Lord, we pray that the gospel would go out and many would be saved. Many would return back to you. Lord, we know that only you do that. That's a work that only you do, but we thank you for using us in that process. We give you all thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.